Today's reading will be from John 20, 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive, this whole, receive the whole spirit, Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Absolutely love the, uh, the week that is in front of Providence Church and an opportunity for our church family to think about the, the mission that our God is on and the way that he might have us to play into it. Uh, thrilled that I get a chance to jump up here today and focus on the first part of this and the fact that our God is a God on mission. And we're going to dig down into this, I hope, in a way that is helpful and that causes us maybe to walk out of this room a little different than we came in. Uh, I'm one of those that believes our God still has something to say to his people and that even in our day, he still speaks. And my prayer would be that each of us would have opportunity to hear what he'd have to say to us today. I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey as we walk through this. Uh, ultimately getting us to John chapter 20. But let me give you a picture of where we're headed uh, in the next few minutes. I'm going to start by sort of setting the stage that then will lead us to an invitation. I think as we think about the mission that God is on, there is this incredible invitation that he has given to his church. So we're going we're gonna to set the stage a bit. We'll talk a little bit about the invitation that God has given to us. And then we'll take a little, a little time to look at what exactly is the mission and how is God going about accomplishing it. So let me start by setting the stage. And this is one of those you're just going to have to stick with me for a few minutes because you're going to have us think a bit about this. When you walked into this building today, you walked into a room that has historically been called a sanctuary. For hundreds of years, churches have been building buildings, some similar to this one. And in those buildings, they've set aside a particular space that was meant to be the main gathering place for worshipers of God. And way back, they started calling the room a sanctuary. Part of the theory was this. This is the place where the people of God meet with a holy God. There was to be a sacredness about this space, a reverence that we were to enter into the sanctuary as as a different kind of space than everywhere else we would enter. That when the church walked into the sanctuary, we were seeing ourselves as reverently walking into the holy presence of a living God. Sort of modeled after the Old Testament tabernacle or the temple with the the holy place and then the most holy place. And this was the sanctuary. It's interesting to watch the use of the word sanctuary morph over the years. Some settings still call this kind of a room a sanctuary. 
Some actually call it now an auditorium. That's some interesting things to think through. And how did we get there? And what might that do to shape how we walk in? Leave that for a different time. But what I have found in my own experience with the church, both in my life as well as just interacting with a ton of people all over the place in the church all across our country, what I have found is a lot of people still refer to this as a sanctuary, but when they say sanctuary, they aren't thinking about this sort of sacred space where the people of God come reverently to encounter Him. They're actually using the sanctuary more in the thought of a haven of rest. The theory is something like this. I have spent the last six days strapped to the crazy train of real life. And come Sunday morning, I just need somewhere I can go to just get away from all of the noise, all of the stress, the pressure, the craziness. And so this is my sanctuary. This is my haven where I get to just sort of pull away for a bit. And so people walk into this room on Sunday morning so often, they're, they're kind of sliding into home plate sort of experience. It, They've pounded around the bases all week long, and now they've got very little left. But let me just sort of slip into a chair. And once I'm in this sanctuary, there are a couple things I'd love to see happen. One, I hope they play the music I like. Like, I hope they do those songs that take me back And by back, who on earth knows what I mean? But some yesteryear where some warm fuzzy is found. And I hope they play those songs that take me back. Why? Because, you know what, my soul is weary. It's been a long week. And I just just need some sanctuary space. So Gabe, you better do it well. You better do it at the right volume. It better be the right era of songs. The second thing that happens when I begin to treat this as a haven of rest, and some of you are already saying, whoa, 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 you're supposed to be talking about the mission of God. Why are we stuck on this sanctuary stuff? Uh, We'll get there. The second thing that I think often happens when this becomes a haven of rest is we watch with great caution when Andrew or Jared or somebody else comes up on the platform to open the word and to preach. And what am I really hoping happens in those moments? Andrew, I'm hoping you feed my soul. I'm hoping you say something that gives me a bit of a, watch this, a nugget of truth that allows me to walk back out into real life, get strapped back onto the crazy train, and survive another week. you got to feed my soul because I've got nothing left. 
I'm just struck. I'm not even sure what this is all about. I just know I was sitting at my dinner table the other night, and I went over and had to grab a sticky note, write this stuff about sanctuary out. I'm just struck as I think through sort of the morphine of the title or the label we often put on this room. And I wonder what it might say about the way many Christ followers are experiencing life today. And I realized as I was processing through this, that this whole thinking through of the sanctuary, it's quite a helpful indication of where I'm really at. Some of us may be able to relate to this, but let me tell you how I do a lot of life. I do a lot of life strapped to what I'm going to call a circumstantially driven roller coaster. I personally do a lot of life strapped to a circumstantially driven roller coaster. Here's what it looks like. I start off on Monday morning, and I get some really good news at my office. And so my roller coaster goes way up the hill. I'm now on top of the mountain. And then I check my email. And I got one of those emails <laughs> that just causes my soul to go straight down into a pit. I'm devastated inside. And so for some people, that's when you go like post something fun on Facebook and all of a sudden people are loving what you put out there and you're like, all right, I'm okay. Life's okay and I'm, I'm headed back up to the top of the mountain and then I check that same thing two hours later and there's that gal that put that jab in and I'm like, oh, she hates me and so I go right back down into the pit and, and then I show up at home and me and my spouse are... Or for whatever reason, we love each other, but man, we're just at each other. And now I'm, I'm going deeper into a pit. And then I start reading the news. And I start looking at all the mess going on in the world around me. And man, I just do this through life. I just, I just sort of attach my soul to what's right in front of me. And I ride the crazy train. My soul dips and dives like crazy. My emotional well-being does this. And I think I end up seeing the sanctuary as a place where I hope I can get a fix. Because by the time I get to Sunday morning, I need something. Think about how the week often goes for us. Monday through maybe Friday at about four, we kind of do the drill. You ever wondered why some of the darkest hours of your life, some of the most sinful hours of your life, when do they often fall? Often it's about Friday night. All of a sudden I start making decisions I don't make on Tuesdays. (laughs) 
And then I enter into Saturday, and by Saturday, things are just numb. So I drag myself out of bed on a Sunday, sliding in here, saying, oh, I need to get recalibrated. I hope this is a haven for me. You know, I think the enemy of our soul knows about the crazy train. And I think the enemy of our soul knows that come Friday, Saturday, we're pretty exhausted. And I think the enemy knows that and comes attacking us. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if there is actually a higher way of doing life. I'm wondering if there is a way of doing life that sort of goes up and over the roller coaster of a circumstantially driven life where we're just on this journey sort of up and to the right. And our souls do not have to go on the crazy train of what's going on right in front of us. I'm wondering if there's a different way to go about it. I think it's the invitation of God that we would be a people who live life every day keenly aware that he's on a mission. And the mission that our God is on has eternally significant consequences. That over the top of all of the other stories being written in our world, over the top of all the stories being written in our lives, there is a much greater, more grand, eternally significant story being written. And I'm wondering what happens if I wake up in the morning and instead of keeping my eyes on the temporal things right around me, I love the picture. Gabe didn't do that in first service of all the points in this building. I wonder if I ought to lift my eyes, remind myself that whatever comes today, my God is on a mission. And I have been invited to participate in his mission. And I don't have to get drug around by all of the stuff of life. I think it causes us to walk in this room a little different than how I've often walked in. But we'll get to that. Here's the invitation. Lift our eyes to the eternally significant mission of God. Even when the circumstances of life get challenging, lift our eyes. Let me give you just a for instance of this in case you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not tracking with you, Kent. Put yourself in your workplace for just a moment. You still love going to work. Like it used to be a beautiful thing. You wake up in the morning, you're excited to get there, excited to give yourself to what you were giving yourself to. But there's been some tension in the workplace. In fact, most of the tension centers around that one coworker. The two of you have been working on a number of projects together. You've had to go arm in arm together for a long time. But something has changed where your coworker is now getting all of the attention. 
they are the ones receiving the accolades for what's getting accomplished. You're being overlooked. And you're starting to think about your coworker with this great frustration inside. In fact, you're now waking up in the morning, and before you even head to the workplace, you're already stirred up. I don't want to go. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to deal with all that. You're starting to get snippy at your spouse in ways you didn't used to snip at your spouse. You're not even sure what that is, but you're just stirred up inside. Promotion time is coming. There is somebody who's going to get a raise. And up to this point, the coworker is the one who's been making a name for herself. And all of a sudden, you realize, I'm going to get overlooked here. And so you start taking shortcuts. I start doing things that I normally wouldn't do. Why? Because I'd like the promotion. And my whole life just starts getting wrapped up in this stuff that I can see, the circumstances right around me and what's going on in the workplace until there is this moment, and it might be a fleeting moment, but there comes this moment where it dawns on me, hmm, it has been a long time since I thought about the fact that my coworker doesn't yet know Jesus. It has been a long time since I thought about the fact that my coworker is still stuck in her sin and is headed to a Christless eternity in hell. You see, I got so wrapped up in the circumstances and the temporal stuff that I can see right around me that I lost sight of the much bigger story, the mission of God. His primary concern is not my pay raise. It is the fact that there's a lostness in the world and he wants to bring those lost folks back unto himself. And I'm just wondering, what if I lived life constantly aware of that fact? I don't get drug into the temporal. I walk into my workplace through the lens of God is on mission. And I have been invited to be a part of this. Two friends of mine, they're pastors down in St. Louis. One's a white guy, one's a black guy. All of the mess in Ferguson starts to erupt And you had these battle lines being drawn. Remember the stories? On this side are the police and all of the people who are trying to support what the police were doing. On this side are the rioters and all the people trying to support what was going on in there. And in between these two groups standing face to face on the streets, my two buddies made t-shirts bright colored with the words clergy united on the back and a black guy and a white guy went in the middle and stood right in between them. Guys were carrying cases of of water. And they started to, to find ways to bless these folks. And they started to find ways to bless these folks to the point that the Missouri government started to ask our guys to come and help them navigate through all of it. And the rioters started to ask our guys 
to help them navigate through it. Ferguson could have gone a whole lot worse if it weren't for a white guy and a black guy who stepped in the middle and said, look, the circumstances are a mess. But we serve a God who's writing a bigger story. We serve a God who's on mission and his mission has eternally significant consequences. And so they asked the question, what would it look like for us to look over the top of what we can see around us and, and ask the question, God, how might we carry out your mission in the midst of this? It's a whole different way of life. It's taking the, the straps off, stepping off the roller coaster, and taking the invitation of God to jump into something much greater. All right, so what is the mission? Not going to spend a ton of time here because I think for many of us, it's a pretty familiar story. The mission of God takes us all the way back into the book of Genesis, the very beginning of this whole thing getting started. God had created the trees and the plants and separated the waters and made animals. And he said to all of it, boy, this is good stuff. But he wanted then to create some sort of a creature upon which he could pour out his goodness. He wanted there to be a recipient of his glory. So, something or someone who could, who could enjoy the fullness of who he is. And so he creates Adam and he creates Eve. And the motto was this. I'm going to be your God. You be my people. You see it throughout Scripture. I'm going to be your God. You be my people. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to pour out my glory upon you. And we're going to do this incredible journey forever. His one request of the people, hey, just stick with me. You got to stick with me. And this will be a beautiful ride. Adam and Eve begin the journey with God in this beautiful relationship. And they got to experience what he intended for them to experience. The Bible says that they walked together. They talked together. Adam and Eve got to enjoy the fruitfulness of his creation. The glory of God was known. And then the serpents came in between. What did the serpent do to Adam and Eve? Caused them to drop their eyes. If you eat, your status goes up. So instead of keeping their eyes on him and what God is up to, they dropped their eyes onto themselves. They saw the fruit right in front of them and, and they allowed sin ultimately to enter into the world. From that moment forward, a snowball of mess was being packed that would eventually be set at the top of a mountain and pushed and this avalanche of death and destruction would come to this point today. And yet the creator looked at the whole thing and said, and I'm not giving up that easy. He looked at his creation and said, you're mine. 
I desire you. And so from the moment sin entered, to the, entered the world until today, God kicked into mission. The mission simply is this, to restore what was lost. The mission of God is to restore what was lost. It is to rescue humanity out of our sin and bring us back into a relationship with Him. And so God starts to sort of initiate these different ways of going about accomplishing the mission. We, we get from Adam and Eve to Noah. Remember that story? God scours the earth and he finds one righteous man. He says, Noah, how about you and your family jump in a boat because I'm about to wash the planets. Worked out okay for a bit. And then Noah and his family went back down into the ditch. So God starts to call out the patriarchs. Goes to a man named Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to use you. And then Isaac and then Jacob. Down through guys like Joseph. These people who were supposed to lead the people of God back to him. Read the story. It went like this. So God starts raising up the judges, same drill, raises up the kings, most of them were an absolute disaster, gets to the prophets, all I'm doing here is marching through the Old Testament, right? It's all the mission of God, it's him seeking to restore what's been lost, he raises up the prophets, men and women that he sends to become a mouthpiece for him, to try to call his people back, hey y'all went in the ditch. This isn't how I wanted it to be. And you probably know the story. They killed the prophets. They threw them in pits. They plugged their ears. And then we find ourselves at the Gospel of Matthew. And all of a sudden, God says, we're going to once and for all send an agent of the mission into the world. To get this thing done. And he sends Jesus. Saying Jesus I want you to go. That what has been lost might be restored. That sinful people might be rescued out of their sin and brought back to me. Brings us to John chapter 20. Really long introduction for just a couple of verses. We're okay on time if I'm making you nervous. John chapter 20, if you're not open there already, please go there. We are just after the resurrection. Jesus knows that he is about to be taken back into the throne room of the Father. And so he gathers his disciples, his followers together. Look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he drops what for me is one of the most life-changing sentences I've ever come across. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, 
Jesus looks at his followers and says, and so now I am sending you. The mission of God to restore what was lost was placed onto Jesus. Jesus, you've got a part in this to play. And so Jesus was sent. And as he finishes up at least the earthly part of his work or the part of his work when he was on the earth, he then turns to his followers and says, and y'all are going to take it from here. In the exact same way I was sent, I'm now sending you. If you've never done it before, I'd encourage you to take that idea and, and just pour over it. Go back and read the entire Gospel of John with this question at the top of your journal page or your note page. How was Jesus sent? What did that look like? What did that entail? What was he sent to do? Because however it is that Jesus was sent, he is now saying, I believe even to us, that we are sent in the exact same way. This is why I said, I think God has given us an invitation. An invitation to enter into a way of life that's so much higher than just the temporal stuff around me every day. It's the invitation to live is what I've come to call a sent one. Some of you have been on a short-term missions trip. You've gone to places like Thailand or Cambodia or Haiti or somewhere in Africa. You ever notice how the way you went about life when you were on your missions trip was probably quite different than the sort of the everyday drill? You ever notice that you prayed harder? You dug more deeply into the scriptures. You couldn't buy a pack of gum at the little shop without thinking, how do I lead the clerk to Jesus? And then you came back home. And now I got to fight with my coworker again. Because that's what my real life's about. We taste of living as a sent one, maybe for a short period of time. I think the invite in John 20, 21 is for you and I to live as sent ones all the time. So we have to ask the question, if this is supposed to look like the way Jesus was sent, what does that entail? We're not going to take the time to go super deep into this. I'm just going to rattle off four things. As Jesus was sent, so we are now sent. First thing I want us to recognize is Jesus was sent as one who would reveal the Father. He was sent as one who would reveal to the lostness of the world who the Father really is. It's John chapter 14 where Jesus is talking to Philip and simply says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians chapter 1, Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen 
his glory, the glory of the one and only. Jesus was sent into the world to put on flesh that he might say to the rest of us, you want to know what the Father's like? Just look at me. That's scary when you start to ask the question, how might that change the way I walk into my workplace? Because somehow the same way Jesus was sent, I'm now sent. And if he was sent to reveal the Father, then somehow I am supposed to reveal the Father. A man made in his image. A woman made in his image. Who has been rescued out of his or her sin. Restored into a right relationship with him. Now sent to be a picture for the world. Somehow when you bump into me, you ought to see the Father. Second thing I want us to catch about how Jesus was sent is Jesus was sent as one who would carry the heart of the Father. I'm trying to say that in a very specific way. Jesus was sent as a carrier of the heart of the Father. That wherever Jesus went, people got to feel the for God so loved the world of John 3.16. People got to feel how the Father feels about them. The adulterous woman, the religious elite are, are ready to stone her, right? What did she feel from Jesus? The heart of the Father. The children start showing up. And the religious, even the disciples were saying, no, 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 he doesn't have time for you little people. What did the kids get to receive from Jesus? The heart of the Father. It's Jesus standing over the city of Jerusalem. And he weeps. And his declaration was, if only you would have known the coming of God to you. In another place it says Jesus stood over the city of Jerusalem looked at the people and said how I've longed to gather you in like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. That's what Isaiah was talking about when he talks about the shepherd wanting to gather the sheep unto himself. Jesus was carrying the heart of the Father. What might that mean? When I enter into the racial devastation of all that's going on in our world today. What might it mean to carry the heart of the Father into that? I bet I don't get all stirred up with tweets that get put out. I bet I don't ride some crazy train of like all the different media things that are being said. I better walk in pretty different. Say, what's it mean to carry the heart of the Father into that? Jesus was sent as one who would reveal the Father. He was sent as one who carried the heart of the Father. The third thing I want us to catch is he was sent as one who would proclaim the words of the Father. John chapter 8, Jesus simply says, I speak only what the Father has taught me. That he was 
He was sent as one who would bring the truth of God into the, into the lies of this world. Bringing wisdom from on high. What might it look like for that to be the focus of what comes out of my mouth? One sent to proclaim truth in the midst of the lies. The fourth thing that I want us to see about how Jesus was sent, he was sent to reveal the Father, he was sent as one who would carry the heart of the Father, he was sent as one who would proclaim the words of the Father, and he was sent as one who would call the world back to the Father. It wasn't simply wanting them to feel what the Father felt for them or simply hear the words that the Father would say to them, but he wanted them to extend the invitation to say, and just so you know, you're welcome to come back to him. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus just beginning his public ministry on the earth. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his message, his invitation. Repentance sometimes feels like to us this nasty, ugly, burdensome kind of process. It's not. It's this message that says, look, you don't have to ride the crazy train anymore. And you don't have to be caught in your sin anymore. Turn from that. Repent. Because there's this kingdom over here. Jesus was sent as one to call the world back to the Father. And so I'm left with the question, if that's how Jesus was sent, what kind of life ought I to be living in these days? And do people bump into me and see who the Father is? Do they, do they get to feel the Father's heart for them? Do they get to hear what the Father would say to them? Am I giving them an invitation to come back and to know the Father? He's on a mission. And as he sent his son, so now I have been sent. I probably should put a period right there and walk off the platform. But uh, some folks have already said, hey, what about this other forgiveness of sin stuff in here? And Let me just paint the picture just a little further. Jesus, right after he says, as I was sent, I am sending you. Look at what he does next. And with that, he breathed on them. What? I want you to go carry out the mission of God. And then he breathed on them. Saying, receive the Holy Spirit. If you have never had a chance to study through Acts chapter 10. And wrestled with that through Acts 10, you need to spend some time there. In Acts 10, we are told that Jesus did what he did on this planet 
because the Spirit of God was upon him. That's a massive statement that'll mess with our paradigm a bit. We think, well, Jesus did what he did because he's Jesus. Acts 10 tells us Jesus did what he did because he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he knows that if you and I now are going to be able to go do what he did, if we are going to be able to live as sent ones in the same way he was sent, we too are going to require the empowering presence of God's spirits. And so the very first thing he does after he says, your turn, is he gives them the spirits. The empowering presence of God who brings gifting to us who brings wisdom to us, who brings boldness to us, who brings a strength to us. It's the Spirit of God living in me that gives me any ability to live as a sent one in the world today. Jesus knows that. The same Spirit has been given to those of us in the room who call ourselves Christ followers. We have His Spirit. Praise God, because I'd be in a world of hurt without him. One more verse. Watch what he does next. This is one of my, like, I don't know, top five head scratchers in Scripture. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. feels like a disjointed mess. Live as a sent one. Here's the Spirit. Oh, and by the way, if you forgive somebody, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. What on earth is Jesus saying? Because this gets twisted around in our heads real fast. We're like, whoa, I'm not Savior of the world. I can't forgive your sins. Only Jesus can do that. Here's what I'm stuck with, is I'm, I'm with you right up into the point that Jesus himself says, <laughs> when you forgive somebody, they're forgiven. When you don't, they're not. So somehow the one I'm trying to punt to is punting it right back and saying, look, you play into this, Kent. Watch this. And please know I don't have the answers on this. This is just a thought. I'm wondering if Jesus is going so far as to say, as a sent one, empowered by my spirits, you now have an authority. You now have an authority to declare sins forgiven. And where you proclaim the forgiveness of sins, sins are forgiven. And where you don't proclaim the forgiveness of sins, sins are not forgiven. It's an invitation into the mission of God such that I've revealed the Father, carrying the heart of the Father, proclaiming the words of the Father, down to the point that I invite the world to come back to the Father. And as somebody responds to Him, I get to look Him in the face with authority. And I get to say, my brother, your sins are forgiven. 
I get to drop the most significant declaration human ears could ever hear. Why? Because that's the capstone of the mission of God. It's exactly what he wants. And so he gives us the authority to drop the line of all lines. That's why earlier I called it an invitation. I think it's a pretty sweet one. I don't have to wake up in the morning and strap into the crazy train. My life doesn't have to ride the roller coaster of the ups and downs of the world around me. I don't have to be lost in the temporal. I can lift my eyes and recognize my God is on a mission. And the things he's up to have eternal significance. I may miss the promotion. I may miss the pay raise. I may take a few licks along the way. It's another part of how Jesus was sent. But at the end of this deal, if my coworker spends eternity in paradise, it's all worth it. All right, last thought. Back to the sanctuary. I'm not suggesting that this space is any holier than any other space on the planet. I get the, well, I partially get the whole we are the temple of God thing. I know we don't have the holy of holies in a building like this anymore. Praise God. But I don't want to do life in such a way that I come sliding into Sunday morning all beat up, exhausted, and worn out. Kind of like a, an addict needing another fix. And looking at Jared and Andrew and saying, boys, you better prop me up. Gabe, you better nail it. You and your team better nail it today. I want to walk into the sanctuary, not as a haven to escape the world, but as a place where I get to get together with other people who are on the same mission as me, following hard after the same God, living at a much higher plane and saying, man, let's worship. Eight people just put their lives before the world and said, I choose Jesus. Let's worship. Look at what he's done. And then I do want to have some space where I can say, hopefully with some of the rest of you, oh man, if I'm going to be a revelation of God to the world, I need to know him better. If I'm going to carry his heart, I need to know his heart more. If I'm going to proclaim his word, I better get to know this. So, hey, y'all help me. Let's jump in here. Let's dig in. Andrew, if you got the mic today, help me. Let's get to know him more. Why? Not because I just want to go strap back into the crazy train and survive another week so I can slide back in here next. Well, most times it's slide back in two weeks later, but slide back in here down the road. But let's get to know him because there's a lost world out there. My God's on a mission and the story he's writing is far greater than anything on the planets. Our God's on mission. We've been invited in. It's a beautiful thing. Father in heaven, what a gift. For many of us, we sit in this place today having been recipients already of your missional work. 
You sent somebody into our world to, to show us who you are. To experience your heart for us, to hear your words, and we got invited. And then we got to hear from our grandmother, our dad, or a friend, or a co-worker, or a pastor, or something on the radio. We, we got to hear somebody pronounce our sins forgiven. And we say thank you. There are some in this room today, Father, who, who don't yet know you. God, I pray you tug at their hearts in a way that draws them. What a privilege then for one of us to be able to look them in the face and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Welcome back. God, for all of us, we recognize there is a world out there. It's caught in a mess. There are thousands and thousands of people in the last few weeks even who have found a voice to come forward and share their stories of pain and abuse, lives that have been train wrecked. And God, the only way I can think to respond to all of the pain that people are sharing is is to come with your hearts. I pray you'd lift our eyes to see over the top of the circumstances and recognize what you want to do. God, we love the thought that we could live as sent ones who have joined you in seeing what has been lost, restored. And Father, as we spend a few moments around your table, as we eat the bread and drink the cup to remind ourselves of the body and the blood of Jesus, We again, Father, say thank you. Thank you for sending him. Jesus, thank you for coming. Jesus, thank you for going all out to accomplish the mission. We want to commune with you in these moments that we might know you in a greater way. We want to proclaim our devotion to you. Not for 30 seconds, of eating and drinking, but as a declaration of the posture of our lives, we are yours, Jesus. Many of us wanting today to embrace the idea of being now sent. I thank you, Lord, for the reach of this family, all of the places we get to touch on a weekly basis. mission be accomplished.